AHLA is pleased to present this special series highlighting the top 10 health law issues of 2024, where we bring together thought leaders from across the health law field to discuss the major trends and developments of the year. Support for AHLA in this series is provided by PYA, which helps clients find value in the complex challenges related to mergers and acquisitions, clinical integrations, regulatory compliance, business valuations, and fair market value assessments, and tax and assurance. For more information, visit PYAPC.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the third episode of the AHLA Top 10 series. Uh, this particular uh, episode is going to be focused on antitrust trends and a fo forecast for the healthcare industry. I am Michael Ramey with PYA. I'm a principal in our healthcare consulting group and I lead our strategic and transaction advisory services. Uh, the areas of focus for my practice are transaction advisory services, strategic planning, uh, and valuation, mainly to hospitals, health system systems, uh, private equity, investors within healthcare, uh, physician practices, um, and uh, lead a team that predominantly works through due diligence matters, facilitation of transactions, and post-merger integration, as well as strategic planning initiatives. Uh, I'm joined today by Rosa Morales, who is the author of this article. She's with Kroll and Mooring, and I will turn it over to her to introduce herself. Thank you, Michael, and thank you for having, having me on your podcast. Um, my name is Rosa Morales, and I am a counsel in Kroll and Mooring's antitrust group uh, based out of New York City. I counsel and represent clients on um, a range of um, antitrust and competition issues, including in litigation, antitrust litigation, as well as in um, government challenges to transactions, multi-district litigation, and class actions. Um, I also um, specialize in various sectors, particularly on um, healthcare and pharma, telecoms and media, and the financial sectors. I'm happy to be here today. Great, thanks for joining us, Rosa. So uh, expanding upon the article a little bit, um, there were several merger guideline changes proposed by the DOJ or the FTC in 2023. Can you help us understand as we sit here today, kind of what's still proposed versus what's finalized, what's being implemented, just a, a little bit uh, clearer picture of, of the current landscape? So um, I believe it was shortly after we published that um, article, um, the FTC and the DOJ jointly released um, the uh, final merger guidelines on December 18, 2023. Um, they, the new guidelines reflect changes uh, from public comments on the draft version that was released um, in July 2023, but the main principles um, under the new guidelines remain the same. Um, broadly speaking, the new guidelines uh, reflect uh, what we've seen um, as an aggressive approach to uh, merger enforcement under the Biden administration. And generally, they establish um, lower thresholds and presumptions that make it easier for the agencies to challenge mergers that they have been that they have viewed problematic in the past uh, and have had a difficult time um, successfully challenging. Uh, for example, the new guidelines set out new market share and um, lower market concentration levels uh, to identify presumptively unlawful horizontal mergers. 
Um, they also establish presumptions that can be rebutted with evidence uh, to show that a merger would not be anti-competitive. Um, in that case, um, there's a bit of a shift of, of a, uh, uh, a shift in burden to the transacting parties to show that the merger is not uh, anti-competitive. And uh, notably, the new guidance also includes language uh, that update theories of harm uh, that are designed to address uh, in more detail platform markets, uh, labor markets, serial acquisitions, and minority investments that tend to be associated with private equity firms. Um, now, the guidelines are, as you know, industry agnostic, but they do seem particularly primed or amenable to support and legitimize uh, the agency's historical scrutiny of healthcare mergers and acquisitions, which may not be um, any accident, as you know. Um, the agencies have long viewed consolidation in the healthcare industry as leading to increased healthcare costs for consumers. And that has been a priority under the current administration, as well as for the agencies in recent years. Now, the framework uh, appears to target areas where the agencies have faced enforcement challenges, uh, in, particularly, in particular in, um, in uh, traditional and non-traditional vertical or cross-merger uh, uh, merger transactions uh, that are prevalent in, in healthcare. Uh, and where the agencies have experienced setbacks in litigation until very recently, such as in the FTC's recent appellate win in the uh, before the Fifth Circuit in the Illumina Grail uh, case, which uh, ultimately led to that challenge not proceed that merger not proceeding. Now, uh, while the the guidelines uh, reflect an aggressive enforcement uh, for mergers. It is a little too early to tell how the uh, agencies will uh, proceed, um, but um, they on their face appear to add risk uh, for uh, deals that are prevalent in the healthcare industry. Um, but for parties that have been interacting with the agencies in recent years, um, some of these principles have already been playing out, so it may appear as if it's business as usual. Uh, but it is um, uh, uh, we, we, what we can what we can uh, foresee is uh, at least in the near future is that merger enforcement will continue to be aggressive at least uh, under this administration. It's interesting as we go into a um, election year, we are now, I guess, technically in an election year, um, how that might impact if there's any potential administration or legislature changes, legislative changes um, as a result of those elections. Any any thoughts on how that could impact implementation in 2024 and potentially beyond? So the, as you know, the impact, the, the new guidelines are non-binding. Uh, the merger guidelines are non-binding. They are not law. Um, they provide key insights into how the agencies will evaluate transactions uh, for potential antitrust concerns. And um, as mentioned, the new guidelines are closely aligned with the Biden administration's policy for more aggressive enforcement of, uh, of the antitrust laws across the board. And those um, principles were articulated in the president's July 2021st um, executive order on competition. But uh, as you mentioned, uh, we have been in an election year probably for the past three years. Um, so uh, that means that um, given the 
the leading candidates in um, at this early stage in the presidential election year uh, with different views on competition enforcement, this may all change if the uh, White House changes White House changes hands uh, in November. So uh, what we might see is um, there's a pronouncement of a new approach uh, that has already been playing out in recent years, but that approach may change uh, if there is a change in the White House. Um, and beyond that, uh, beyond the impact that um, on enforcement uh, that a change in administration may have, the guidelines um, have also historically served as persuasive authority uh, for federal courts in antitrust uh, litigation. Um, and like, and you know, even though it is uh, a little too early to tell what the courts will do, uh, there there is. Um, some some critics have uh, uh, observed that the courts may not be particularly amenable to uh, giving the guidelines the same type of um, weight that they have in the past, particularly given the changes in the judiciary in the past uh, decades. So it's anyone's guess uh, what the long lasting impact of the new guidelines will be. But for the time being, uh, I think that we can count on the agencies continuing to uh, pursue their aggressive enforcement um, uh, in merger review. Great. And Rosa, you mentioned earlier that the agencies are also focused on you know, pursuing less traditional theories of harm. Um, can you maybe expand upon that just a little bit as to what, what additional they may be looking into? Sure. Um, so I mentioned that the guidelines provide new frameworks uh, that assess the competitive effects of mergers. And um, this, these new frameworks um, reject flexible analytical uh, approaches that were uh, allowed under the or permitted under the prior guidance in favor of uh, more rigid, rebuttable presumptions of harm uh, to assess the competitive effects of deals based on lower thresholds that allow the agencies to more um, easily challenge less traditional deals. Um, these include uh, vertical and cross-market transactions that historically have been difficult to challenge under the old frameworks. For example, um, the new guidelines uh, will presume competitive harm in horizontal transactions when the combined market share of the transacting parties is 30% um, or uh, uh, or greater, even if one of the party's shares um, is minimal on its own. In the vertical merger context, uh, the new guidelines presume uh, foreclosure harm if one party holds uh, a 50% share in any upstream or downstream market. And finally, the, gui the guidelines apply heightened scrutiny on transactions that would entrench an existing dominant position of uh, one of the parties or extend dominance into another, which is defined under the new guidelines as 10% or higher market share based on European standards of dominance. Um, the transacting parties can rebut this with uh, with evidence uh, that uh, the that the merger is unlikely to negatively negatively impact competition. Now, as a practical matter, uh, dynamic and volatile industries like healthcare, uh, where transactions between competitors or transactions that may lead to further consolidation of integrated health systems, for example, may face more regulatory hurdles to clear, um, the new guidelines will make this, uh, will add the possibility of any of increased transaction costs and 
potentially prolong regulatory review. Another aspect of the guidelines that is especially uh, pertinent to the healthcare industry is the agency's um, skeptical view of consolidation and serial uh, transactions that are increasingly common in the healthcare industry. Uh, for example, acquisitions of uh, physician practices by private equity firms. Uh, the agencies have been and in the guidelines have made clear that they will continue to closely scrutinize transactions that focus on um, future consolidation activity or serial acquisitions um, and are assessing the aggregate competitive effects of a series of acquisitions as opposed to assessing the competitive effects of a single transaction that may in the end be on its own uh, competitively neutral. We saw this play out early on in the um, uh, FTC's challenge to um, an acquisition by a private equity fund, uh, Welsh Carson, and its investment company uh, in U.S. Anesthesia, uh, US Anesthesia Partners in the Southern District of Texas. Um, I believe that was in September of last year. The FTC in that case alleged that Welsh Carson and USAP, or the uh, U.S. Anesthesia Partners, engaged in anti-competitive conduct to monopolize the anesthesiology markets through a series of um, roll-up acquisitions that USAP made over several years, um, as well as uh, looking at uh, various price-setting agreements that it entered into with competitors and uh, market allocation agreements uh, with competitors that were designed, in the FTC's view, to monopolize the anesthesiology market. So the, the FTC there focused on the roll-up strategy that uh, is sort of implied uh, in the, uh, if not flatly, just uh, explicitly laid out in the new guidelines as part of a monopolistic, a monopolistic scheme that would not really um, uh, pan out well under um, older, uh, more traditional theories. Um, we'll see if the courts um, credit this, uh, these new theories, um, but the implications for the healthcare, for healthcare companies uh, and larger physician groups that adopt uh, serial acquisitions as uh, a business um, strategy for growth uh, will uh, will have to contend with these new realities. That's really helpful, Rosa. Thank you. Um, I've also seen an increased focus um, and scrutiny on the impacts on labor markets in evaluating transactions. Can you maybe comment a little bit about what you're seeing in that realm? So, um, we have seen um, in recent years that the agencies have been um, intensely focused on identifying the competitive effects uh, uh, of mergers um, and acquisitions in labor markets. And um, we, uh, we will continue to see that. And in, in fact, um, where there was doubt uh, about whether the antitrust laws, uh, or um, particularly as it relates to mergers, um, uh, encompassed um, or addressed uh, effects in labor markets, the new guidelines have made that very clear that uh, the, the, the agencies will continue their aggressive enforcement uh, in uh, labor markets or looking, at for, looking for labor market impacts. Um, they will, and, and I think you've seen this play out, my, um, uh, Michael, um, in, in recent years where the agencies have um, looked for evidence 
of collusion, um, uh, particularly between competitors for labor, even where they don't compete uh, for services or products. Um, they have been looking for, for evidence um, that um, competitors for labor have, been, have uh, agreed not to compete for, labor, for uh, uh, workers, um, as well as um, entered into um, agreements uh, to fix wages. And um, where the FTC has identified evidence of uh, such conduct, it has referred um, these uh, uh, it has referred these instances to the DOJ, uh, who that has in in some instances pursued um, uh, launched criminal investigations and um, issued indictments uh, for individuals and companies that have um, have been uh, have been identified as having uh, in, in engaged in this conduct. So I think that the include the explicit inclusion of um, labor. A, as an area of focus in the new merger guidelines um, signals to parties that this is it, this is not going to go away that the that the agencies will continue to uh, look for labor effects and that the um, antitrust laws apply to labor markets um, equally if there was any doubt in the past thank you for that insight um one more question switching gears to the how um the there's also changes to the Hart-Scott-Rodino Act filing requirements, uh, which make that more onerous uh, in terms of the, the volume of information that must be included within those filings. Rosa, what, what recommendations do you have for Transaction Council to be able to manage those, those new requirements? So, um, as you suggested, the the proposed changes to um, the HSR forms and, um, and the enhanced filing requirements um, are going to give uh, the agencies more tools to develop the theories of harm that we just discussed under the new guidelines and more fodder to uh, pursue investigations where they identify competitive concerns. Um, but as a practical matter, uh, even in the absence of that, um, these new requirements are going to increase the burden on transacting parties uh, in HR filings. Um, in fact, um, just recently, uh, the FTC commissioner, uh, Rebecca Slaughter, warned that the HSR changes are going to have a much more material effect uh, than the guidelines on how the FTC actually executes its responsibilities to review transactions. So um, we, we are heeding that warning. Um, so your question, how should Transaction Council manage the new requirements that are sure to come? Because these have not been finalized yet, uh, but we expect them imminently. Um, so the the proposed changes are going to dramatically increase upfront disclosures in HSR notifications and will require parties um, to produce a cross-section of strategic business documents uh, in addition to documents related to the transaction itself. Um, these documents are going to include um, drafts of transaction-related documents um, in addition to the final documents that we've seen uh, being required in the past. Uh, narrative descriptions of products and um, representations regarding um, uh, planned products that may be potentially competitive with those of other merging parties, um, and uh, information and data on employee types. And, and uh, I think that this is um, sort of uh, in line with the agency's focus on the potential impact in labor markets. So they're going to require more documentation regarding how uh, employees might be affected. Um, this would so council should really um 
I think that what this means is that council should really start early. So when they are contemplating uh, a, a transaction, uh, because of the heightened scrutiny on the on growth strategies that involve serial acquisitions and the other issues that the agencies are focused on, you want to make sure that you know what's in your documents. Um, you want to know uh, that um, you know your documents are uh, not going to create uh, bigger problems down the line beyond just trying to get the 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 the, the deals um, cleared. So um, it is wise to engage antitrust counsel early on. It is wise to implement uh, compliance programs that, um, especially if your deal is uh, years down the line, uh, it is wise to implement uh, compliance programs to uh, train your employees and training programs to train your employees about how to create documents that don't raise any uh, competitive concerns in connection with merger reviews. Um, so it'll be really important for emerging parties to fully understand the internal documents before signing deal, deal documents and to develop a strategy for how to engage um, regulators on potential issues under the guidelines. Uh, that means that they should um, also be armed for uh, with a potential litigation strategy early uh, in the review process and um, also prepare to consider any potential remedies or modifications to deals in order to clear clear them or um, to, to resolve competitive concerns, um, as well as to improve um, the litigation odds should the case be challenged in court um, down the line. Great. Well, Rosa, thank you for your time today. This has been really informative. I know we've just started scratching the surface of everything we could talk about here. We didn't even get into the matters as to the the why associated with with some of these uh, these matters, um, and including you know the uh, the enforcement associated with with providers compared to maybe other segments of healthcare. Uh, but uh, we'll reserve that for a maybe a future podcast. But uh, appreciate you joining us today. Uh, appreciate the article. Would encourage everyone to go uh, download that for additional information and contact Rosa uh, if there's any follow-up questions. With that, uh, we'll conclude our podcast. Have a good day. Have a great day. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to AHLA Speaking of Health Law wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about AHLA and the educational resources available to the health law community, visit AmericanHealthLaw.org.